It's a tale as old as time. He's handsome, debonair. She's pretty and sweet. They lock eyes across the room. Okay, hold on. Honey, you need to get your facts straight. Finding love today is more like... Are we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe I just want somebody to share my life. What does his text mean? Maybe he's just not that into me. Is Is this this relationship relationship going going anywhere? anywhere? You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've read my advice in the LA Times, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, hello, lovers. I have such an exciting episode for you today. I'm going to be talking to one of my faves, Laverne Cox, the Emmy-nominated actress and transgender rights activist, and she is here to tell us about how she found love on Tinder. Yeah, it's true, and how you can too. This is Transgender Awareness Week. It's when transgender people and their allies generate awareness about who transgender people are, share their stories, their experiences, and advance advocacy around the issues of prejudice, discrimination, and violence that affect the transgender community. Now, I have been a fan of Laverne's work for many, many years. I was on her hit podcast, The Laverne Cox Show, earlier this year, and she is just so wise and wonderful, and regardless of your gender identity or orientation, you are going to love this interview. And I know you are going to get a lot of value out of listening to what Laverne has to say. So much so that we made this a supersized interview. It's packed with tons of advice, and we're just going to jump right into the conversation on today's show. But of course, if you miss hearing the Dating Dish headlines, you can get your fix on my Instagram at Damona Hoffman. Speaking of Instagram, I'm holding the questions that many of you have DM'd me in my hot little hands, and we will end today's episode, as always, with a Dear Demona. Today, I'll answer questions from you like, to be or not to be with your ex? (laughs) And do you have a shot with your celebrity crush? Ooh, so much in store for today's Dates and Mates. Without further ado... Let's dive right into the interview. I am here with Laverne Cox. She's the first openly transgender actress to be nominated for an Emmy. That was for her brilliant work in the Netflix series Orange is the New Black. Since then, she's produced the documentary Disclosure about transgender representation in Hollywood. She co-starred in the film Promising Young Woman. And she hosts the podcast The Laverne Cox Show. And how lucky are we that now she is here on Dates and Mates. Please help me give big smooches to my guest, Laverne Cox. Laverne, first of all, we got to talk about your girl's trip, your vacay. And like, why ha- why is Doritos doing what it's doing to us? <laughs> I saw you dancing with Doritos and I was like, that happened to me too. It's so funny. So it was our first girls trip and we've been talking about it for years it's um my my core group of girlfriends we call ourselves the cots the council of trans sisters so we went shopping we went grocery shopping one day and i just was like i try not to eat doritos like it's so this is hilarious so like i got a bunch of bags of doritos at the beginning of the pandemic and then i started eating the doritos and i couldn't stop and i was like i need to throw these things or i need to throw them out or this is going to be really really bad so like i literally discarded like bags of Doritos and I that that sounds really bad and like when people are starving but I was just like I'm not gonna be able to stop <laughs> eating these 
<laughs> so I hadn't had them in a while and we were in Mexico and I walked by Doritos and I was like, I'm on vacation. I can do, I can do this. And I got two bags of Doritos. And then like I was doing, we were doing, I was doing like bikini stuff <laughs> by the pool. And uh -huh. I thought it would be really funny if I like eat Doritos on camera. I don't know why. And Real I sexy like. like. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to eat like one or two Doritos tops. Just do it for like, you know, the camera and do it for social media. Girl, I, when the camera stopped, I went upstairs and it's so weird because I do it by myself. When I eat things like Doritos, I need to do it alone. So I went upstairs to my room Dorito and I like shame. polished off the entire bag of Doritos and it was good. And I did not feel bad about it. I did not feel bad. I about can it. relate to everything you just said because I, I don't normally have Doritos. I hadn't had Doritos for years. And then during the pandemic, my, my husband every week, he makes sandwiches for unhoused Angelinos and there's a sandwich, there's a chips and drink and everything. And we always would have like two bags of Doritos left. And I was like, oh, I haven't had Doritos in a long time. Let me just try with this Cool Ranch. Cool Ranch is my flavor. Mm. And oh no, they're so good. And there's only like 10 of them in there anyway, Laverne. Oh, so you mean the small bag? <laughs> Girl, I need at least that medium bag or the, the girl, the large, the family size is evil because I will eat that whole family size bag of Doritos. Oh. We deserve it. You deserve it. <laughs> We've been through it this year. You've been through it. And when we last talked, Laverne, you got to yes. catch me up because oh my gosh, we, we talked what, about a year ago on your podcast, the Laverne Cox Show. And... I feel like at that time you were single. And then the next thing I knew you were popping up on Ellen and the view and all of these places talking about you had a new boo. So yeah. you got to tell me what's up now. I think when we talked a year ago, I was just hanging out. Like we were talking, we were hanging out, but it wasn't like official and we were just kind of getting closer. And then like in December, it was just like, Oh my God, I think I love this man. And then like, you know, that word was exchanged and it just kind of became official. And the interesting thing about it, and I think about the podcast, the conversation that we had about long distance and about dating over 40 and all that stuff. And he lives in New York and I was primarily living in Los Angeles. But the interesting thing is we had matched on Tinder before the pandemic. I was going to New York. I was going back and forth to New York because I was shooting a show. And so I would just kind of get on Tinder when I was in New York. And so I'd match with dudes in New York. And then sometimes I'd have time to go out on a date. And other times I wouldn't. I actually matched with a dude on Tinder in New York. And he was like, do you want to go to a Knicks game? Like one night. And like I went to a Knicks game. Okay. Anyway, um, but we matched, but we never got to meet. And then he kept in touch. And then we started talking more during the pandemic. And I had gone into escrow for an apartment in New York because I just was sick of living in hotels and and I, I couldn't afford something really big for I've got a studio apartment in New York but I needed to renovate it and so we weren't able to close until like the end of June July so when I, I came to New York to close on this apartment and then we met for the first time and had like a really great time he was awesome and fun and just good vibes and so I just thought oh my god a big fun guy to hang out with when I'm in New York and so I would come to New York and we would hang out and have fun and then it just just kept having fun and then we fell in love so yeah and you're still <laughs> you're still together and we're still together definitely and like trying to be careful about not saying too much. I feel like I may have already said too much because I really want to protect us and him and 
you know, my last relationship, I was kind of public with this one. I want to kind of keep off social media. He's, he's really fine too. So I don't want to <laughs> so um, snatch him. <laughs> so I want to just kind of keep him to myself. I feel like what we, we've had this, the sacred connection that I've never really felt with anyone else before that feels spiritual, that feels like a soul connection, which I don't know how corny that sounds, but that's what it is. And I've surrendered to it. We both have. And so I just want to protect it. I don't know. In terms of like some of the stuff we talked about on the podcast, I'm just sort of like, it just feels like I'm 49 years old and um, he's, he's 27. So like there's an age difference, but like that has not been an issue so far. And we just always have fun together. And I was dating and open, but I wasn't necessarily, especially I wasn't looking for a guy in New York. So it just kind of happened. And so I, I don't know, it's just so weird that I, I kind of am in shock that I have a boyfriend again and that I am in love like I've never been in love before. It's deep. I've, I've never felt this. I've never felt it reciprocated. It's never felt so spiritual where we could just lie and cuddle and look into each other's eyes. And it's just like, we feel each other. Like I feel him and I feel his spirit and his soul. And like, I, it's like, wow, that's like amazing to me. It's just, it just feels like God was like, okay, here girl. <laughs> it feels like God brought this man to me. I want to get into a lot of what you said, the age gap and everything. But I, I also heard he had never dated a trans woman before. My last three boyfriends have never dated a trans woman before. So that's turning into a pattern for me. <laughs> There's so many things about that. To be real, I think that being a famous trans woman has made, at least my last two boyfriends, I think with my current one, it, he doesn't, really doesn't care about any of the fame stuff. But I think my um, being a famous and recognized made them more open to like meeting me and seeing what's up. And so I think that's different than some other trans women. And they obviously found me attractive. And so they were just more open. So I think that's different than trans women who aren't famous. And then I think what I also find is that sometimes, not all, all the time, but men who have dated trans women before, some of them, not all of them, and I want to stigmatize or general, overly generalize, but in my experience, in my over 25 years of dating, you know, in a non-binary or gender fluid and trans, as a trans woman, that a lot of men who seek out trans women it's fetishistic and it's objectifying and they're not really interested in relationships because if your fetish can't become real or it's the men that I've dated and I actually did a poll I did an informal poll years ago on Facebook and Twitter probably like 2009 or so I was like trans women who are in relationships like how did it happen what was the deal and like a lot of trans women responded and who were, were in relationships and weren't and most of them were in relationships with men who had never dated trans women before and what seemed to be the consensus for these women was that they met a man who was attracted to them who was attracted to women and and acknowledged their womanhood but didn't have all this sort of shame around around their attraction to trans women. A lot of men get into trans women through porn. And so that's already a very overly sexualized kind of relationship to trans women. It's so funny. Like, like none of these guys like watch trans porn. It's so interesting. They just see you for who you they are. They see me. They see me. And so that is, yeah, that is what's, that's what's going on. <laughs> you mentioned 
fetishization. This is the hardest word for me to say. Fetishization. <laughs> fetishization. And I hear that also a lot from black women that I coach, that they're afraid of being fetishized. So mm -hmm. you get the wonderful intersection of being a trans woman and a black woman. Oh, yes. Do you also see this in the context of race and dating? Absolutely. I mean, for a long time, particularly in the early 2000s, a lot of the guys that I dated only dated Black women. They were open to dating trans women, but they, they only dated like women of color and specifically Black women. And that was interesting. I felt more fetishized as a trans woman than as a Black woman. There was a dude who dated exclusively Black women and fetishized Black women and fetishized trans women. And that was deep. <laughs> that was like not cool. Um, <laughs> that was really not cool. So wait, unpack that for me, because mm -hmm. I often feel like we have to live as black women constantly on the defensive in a way. Like I'm going to skip like a whole bunch of history, but I think you can relate. It's just not safe to be a black woman in the world. It's no. just not. No. And so there's always a bit of a hesitation. I feel like when we move through the world and we meet new people and we're like, what are they really thinking? This is my yeah. experience. I'm not speaking for all black women. And we can't speak for all black women. I think for me, as you know, I've done a lot of work on my podcast around trauma resilience and, and whatnot. And so much of trauma resilience and shame resilience is about the stories we tell ourselves. And so the trauma of having been fetishized, the trauma of having been assaulted or all the traumas that like we experience as black women, as trans women, as black trans women. For me, I found it's really important to try not to take that into meeting new people, that I'm trying to give people the benefit of the doubt until they show me otherwise. And they usually show you really quickly. <laughs> this has been my experience. If you're paying attention, the person will show you quickly. So not going in with like a, what's going on with you? Like, you know, not going in with like attitude, but going in with like a curiosity and an openness. And because basically you're in fight, flight, or freeze if you go into a situation defensive and you're not in really in your resilient zone. And so you can't really connect if you're in that survival trauma thing. So it's important for me when I meet new people, like in, in dating and in terms of anything, to try to give them the benefit of the doubt in the right circumstances, right? Like if I was, when I was in the airport and someone like sort of came up to me when I was in Mexico and I was in the lounge or whatever, and like, it was startling because of COVID and I'm like, what, what's some person getting close to me? <laughs> and that's different than like going into a situation where it, just the space is safe or you're, you've met someone online and you're meeting for the first time. I think, yes, it is not a safe world, but in the right circumstances, particularly I think when it comes to dating, going into it in a fight, flight, or freeze, going into it, making assumptions that all oh, men ain't ish and whatever, or they're going to objectify me or fetishize me, that is not the energy that I want to take into a situation because that energy be ends up becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, I think. So I think if I go in with the energy that I want to get back, that's more likely to happen, but it doesn't always mean there's going to be a connection, right? And then when the Fed, they will, Carl, they almost always, in my experience, I'm 49 years old, they will almost always I love black women, your skin, and there's just something about a black queen. They'll start saying it, and like pretty, <laughs> pretty right. Like they will start saying this, even sometimes when they message you. Oh, I love trans women, and they'll you know all the things they say to us that are just really inappropriate. So it becomes pretty obvious quickly. 
Not always. There's some who give the woke game, right? They're like wokeity woke. There's a term for that. Woke fishing now. Woke fishing. Oh, girl. And like, I mean, I have some girlfriends of mine have really experienced that, right? They have Black Lives Matter on their Tinder profile. They're like, you know, giving it, you know, and then it's all BS. So like, I would say beware of that. Don't like make negative assumptions, but beware of it. And then, but then that thing when they come wokey woke and they say all the right stuff, unfortunately, there are just some men who will do anything just to like have sex with a woman and then discard her. So, you know, if you just want to have sex, I'm like, you know, I don't have any judgment around that. But like, it's important to be really, really clear if that's what you want. Because there was a period in my life, I'm going all over, I really wanted a relationship. I really wanted to be in love. But then I was like, okay, I can have, you know, casual sex. I can, you know, be young and free. And and I thought that 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 was okay. And I was just really settling. And it's not really what I wanted. So I think it's important to get really clear about what we want. Because I think a lot of times, especially now we're in such hookup culture, correct me if I'm wrong, you're a dating expert. I think for women on dating apps, that saying we're looking for a relationship in our profile is death. I think that's death (laughs) for me. Do you think it is or do you think they feel like it is? Because that's what I see. Like, if I say what I'm looking for, he might run away. I think it scares men. In my experience, it scares men away when you say you're looking for a relationship. My dating um, profile strategy was like, I think I said I have high hopes and no expectations. I'm open to whatever, you know, kind of like I'm open to if I meet the right person, I'm open to a relationship, but I'm not necessarily looking for one. So there's like, they don't feel the pressure because like in my experience, that scares guys off. And I don't know if that's a story I've told myself. I'm not sure. It could be a story I've told myself, but I'm kind of certain that it scares men off. (laughs) What do you think? It certainly scares men who are not looking for that. Mm-hmm. But you said so much that I, it was so valuable, Laverne, and I hope they can really absorb how much of this is perception. And a lot of times I will hear from black women or Asian women or people of all different backgrounds that say, I'm afraid of being fetishized on the dating app. So I'm afraid of showing my true self or putting myself out there, or I'm making the assumption if somebody of another culture likes me or starts pursuing me, it must be because not of who I am, but because of their fetish. I don't believe that's not necessarily true. And I think you shut down a lot of possibilities with that mindset that exists. There are certainly folks out there who are fetishizing. And I think you just, one has to be astute to the signs of that. But I think if you go into a situation with that assumption, then that's what you're going to get back. Always the case. Always the case. Well, as we're talking about Black women, you've done so many episodes of the Laverne Cox podcast that are really thought-provoking, and I love how you are just a student of life and really take us on this journey to to grow and to explore the world that we're living in and ourselves. Thank you. You had an episode on colorism. Not specifically, but you had an episode where you touched on colorism. I want to take it into the dating conversation. I hear from black women that, you know, not all black women have the same experience online. And a lot of times also I hear this rhetoric that dating apps don't work for black women. And I'm wondering if you feel that it's different for different black women because of their skin tone, the color of their skin. Absolutely. Colorism is a huge issue in the world and it affects 
Black women in so many different ways, and it really affects us um, when it comes to dating. What I have noticed and observed, and a lot of Black women seem to be talking about this online, is that non-Black men seem more open to dating dark-skinned women than Black men do. There are some Black men who are open to dating darker-skinned Black women, but it seems more and more rare. If we look at like celebrity Black men, for example, it is rare to see a famous Black man with a dark-skinned Black woman. They're biracial, they're light-skinned. It's rare. So I think sometimes, I mean, I think ultimately you have to have great photos. You, It's a marketing thing, like we talked about, um, you know, when you were on my show. But I think it's about who you're targeting. I think it is harder to be a dark-skinned Black woman and want to find a Black man. That's what I'm Hearing from other Black women, that has been my experience as well. I don't know what you think about this. That's what the perception is. I don't have enough experience there. And a lot of Black men don't, you know, a lot of Black men want to have sex with me, but they do not want to date me. And now that I'm famous, they really don't want to date me. I, you know, my boyfriend's white. Again, I'm dating another white man. How much heat have you taken for that over the years? Because he's also not the first white man that you've dated. Oh, yeah. When I was public with my last boyfriend, there were people in the comments when I posted a photo of my ex and me, people in the comments were like, of course, he's white. And I bet she's paying for everything. And why do all the famous black LGBTQ people have white partners? Oh, people went in. People went in. And it's like people have no idea how hard it is just to find somebody that you connect with and not making it's like if I limited myself to black men and I was holding out for my black king, <laughs> girl, I would be a frustrated hoe. <laughs> <laughs> and it's nothing against black men. I love black men, but like waiting for that black man who I'm gonna have a connection with and who is gonna want to date me and is gonna be able to deal with the trans thing and the fame thing and me being over 40. I mean, there's just so many things. It's hard. And so I've had to be really open in terms of race. And over the years, I've dated every race of man. I like really, I've been open. I mean, Pakistani, <laughs> you know, um, Eskimo, <laughs> Asian, um, you know, whatever race you can imagine. I lived in New York. So I mean, you know, it's that. Everybody's there. So I've just been open. Yeah, people have a lot to say about that. And that's just, I don't give up now because like love is love is love. And like it's a blessing to find someone that you connect with. The race thing is like, is whatever. The last thing I'll say about this is I think a lot of people, my fans specifically, want to live vicariously through me, right? They want to have their fantasy, right? So when they like saw my ex boyfriend on social media, they were like, this isn't the fantasy I want to have for my Laverne Coxon for myself, right? I want her with a black king power couple. And I want, you know, people like have their, are trying to live out their fantasy for me. And I'm just like, that's beautiful. But like, you know. This is my life, not yours. It's my life. And like, girl, you don't know what I've been dealing with on these apps and with these men. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about that. Because, you know, I'm bullish on dating apps. Mm -hmm. You met your man on Tinder. Mm -hmm. Do you have a dating app strategy that you could share with the dates and mates listeners? God, I mean, it's been over, it's been over a year since I've been on, on, on really on the apps, but with apps for me, you know, you swipe, Oh my God, it just feels like ancient history. Ah! <laughs> being on apps. But like, are you, I think for me, your photos, I mean, my Tinder profile was a full thirst trap. It was. 
some guys would be like, because I had a lot of bikini shots, I did a lot of gifts in like lingerie and bikinis. I was like trying to get their attention. And I did. Literally men would tell me they were masturbating. I was like, is it okay if I masturbate to your Tinder profile? Like, <laughs> have at it. Um, <laughs> so it was a full We're not going to go on a date, but go ahead. <laughs> they, they, yeah, we hadn't met, but they were just doing what they were doing. So I had, it was a full thirst shop and you have to get men's attention, right? They're men are visual, you get their attention. And some guys assumed that I was just looking for a hookup because it was so, you know, how sexual, I guess, my profile, but I wasn't. And then I, you know, I said, I have, the, I have no expectations and high hopes. And it was like, I'm just looking to, you know, meet someone cool, hang out, whatever. And then once I would match with someone, my first question to them would always be, did you read that I'm transgender in my profile? Most guys don't read profiles. There was actually a, a video that went viral of a, of a guy at a baseball game and someone zoomed in on him and he was like on a dating app, swiping like, like swiping really, really, really quickly. Like obviously not reading profiles. He was just doing this. It, the video went viral. You have to look it up. Oh if my God. That was just swiping. I think that's what a lot of guys do. They just <laughs> Speed swiping. Speed swiping. So I that my first question was always, did you read that I'm transgender in my profile? Some guys had, some guys recognized me, and then a lot of them had not. And they were like, thank you for telling me I'm not interested, or I didn't read it, but you know, I don't have a problem with that. That's great. Thanks for, you know, telling me. And then, then the second question would be, have you ever dated or had sex with a trans woman before? We got to be specific. And then if they had, I asked if it was, if they had dated and then if they had dated, did their friends and family meet her? And if it was just sex, then, you know, whatever. These are all questions you're asking, like before you even get to. These are the first three questions. Out of the gate. Out of the gate for Laverne. I have to ask <laughs> for Laverne. For real. Like, it was literally programmed in my phone. Like, I was like, did you read in my profile that I'm trans? It predicts what you're going to type next. Did you read that I'm transgender in my profile? It was fully predicted in my phone. So I just put, like, I didn't have to type Your it out. Your phone knows you so well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, though, what was the reasoning behind that? Or even the fear behind that if you didn't clarify? That's a great question. I've been in this game for a long time. So I know that men don't read profiles. So it says in the first sentence, the first paragraph, I'm a proud transgender woman and then space, space, then no expectations and high hopes. So it's like right there in bold, like I'm transgender, but guys don't see it. So I didn't want to be in a situation where I assumed they knew like years, like 20 years ago, like I was, I, that guy was working in a restaurant and this guy came in all the time and he just sold his dot com or whatever and was celebrating with friends. And like, he was a regular and I just thought he knew that I was trans. Turns out he did not. And anyway, that's a whole other story. So I learned then that I can't assume that guys know. So it's a safety thing. So I don't want to waste my time thing. If you're going to reject me for being trans, I want to know right away. So I don't like get any kind of attachment. And then it's just, it saves time. I just don't want to assume. And some, some girls I know don't always ask right away. And then they like start, they're talking. And then the guy realizes it's just, a, it's just a waste of time. So really for me, getting that question out of the way out, out of the gate is about eliminating guys who are going to have a problem with dating a trans woman and then making sure that they know, like they know what they're dealing with. I know what I'm dealing with and let's get that out of the way. And then we can then we can talk. You must have gotten some really stupid ass follow up questions to that, too. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in dating, I don't think it's ever appropriate 
to ask trans people about their genitalia or their body parts. But in dating, I think it's relevant. I think these are relevant questions. And before I was famous, I, you know, I was like, yeah, I was, I would talk about that with the respective guys that I would meet on dating apps. As a public figure now, though, I don't, talk about that stuff with strangers. And so like guys would ask what my surgical status was. And I'd be like, I am a public figure. I'm not comfortable saying disclosing this information to a stranger. If that's a problem, I totally understand. And we can, you know, good luck to you, you know? And that's what I would say. And some guys would be like, okay. And then they would be, and they would keep talking. Then they would ultimately tell me like they would, they want what they wanted. You know, some guys wanted a woman with penis. Some guys wanted a woman with a vagina. And that piece too was also like, it's fine to have genital preferences. And a lot of, you know, there's some people, a girlfriend of mine used the term genital fluid, like a couple of years ago, some people are genital fluid, right? That there are some straight identified men who are genital fluid that they don't, they are attracted to women, they understand trans women and women, and they don't care if the trans woman has a penis or a vagina. Some people are not genital fluid. They want a woman with a vagina. And then there's some, some guys just want a woman with a penis. Like, so it's like, so that information though, for me, if they would state a preference, that would sometimes just be a turnoff for me in either direction because I don't know. I think people have their preferences and that's fine. And I don't have, I think that's, I think that's perfectly all right. But, you know, some guys would be like, I'm totally all right, not knowing. And some guys were like, you know, I need to know and whatever. That's a weird thing, you know, and I know that's like, there's some trans women who don't want to disclose that at all, who aren't famous. And men have preferences. And I think that like, it's kind of a waste of time of your time as a trans woman, if like a man has a preference for a certain kind of genitalia that you don't have. I think that's a waste of time. And some trans women think it's transphobic if a guy doesn't accept whatever genitalia she has. I don't think that's transphobic. I think that we like what we like, right? I think we just have, we are into what we're into. So for me, a lot of it again, is about not wasting time. But what is so beautiful about my experience like not disclosing my surgical status on dating apps is that I've met a number of guys, I have video chats with guys who were just, who like didn't know what I have and were fine either way. Like they legitimately were fine, like either way. And there's been that like shows that there are a lot of straight identified men who are just really open. And I think that's really beautiful. It is really beautiful. And you probably have never had this conversation on your podcast. Before. I have not. And I'm, <laughs> I'm loving it. I am loving your openness to sharing your experience. And the other thing that's really beautiful about what you shared is that you had clarity in who you are and what you're looking for and no fear in expressing. Like if someone asks you a question that you're not comfortable answering, not answering it. And I feel like so many times in dating, I end up coaching people that no one is owed your story. No one's owed information. And you're not obligated just because someone asked you a question doesn't mean you're obligated to answer it. When I was younger, though, I haven't always been this way. I think like sometimes younger women, I, I'll say women because that's my experience. When I was young, I would ask, answer all their questions. I really wanted them to like me. And I didn't think about whether or not I really like them, <laughs> you know? And so I was doing so much to try to make him like me. And I'm like, do I even like him? So that, that I, I had to make that adjustment in my thinking. I think for a lot of trans girls out there that early in our transition, I think so much for me early in my transition, I just desperately needed people to see me as a woman. And I, I think when trans women don't want to disclose their transness, it's like, 
they just want to be seen as a woman and not like have all of the baggage of being trans attached to them when they go into a dating situation. Because people have a lot of negative ideas about trans people. People fetishize trans people. It's like, it's hard, like being a trans person in the world. And a lot of trans women don't want that baggage when they meet new people. And I get it. I really get it. And I had like a very brief phase of that early in my transition. But I think what it's been so beautiful for me about getting older and understanding that trans is beautiful and that there is nothing wrong with being trans and that all the stigmas and ideas that are negative that people have about trans, that's their problem. That's not my problem. Transphobia is not my problem. That's everybody else's problem. And really getting to that place and believing it and knowing it in in the core of me that I can, you know, go on a dating app, walk out in the world and be like, I'm trans. I remember I met this dude at Dwayne Reed. This is circa 2009 or 10. Met him at Dwayne Reed. I was giving my hormones, ironically. And he kind of picked me up. He like tossed her talking to me and he was handsome. And we, I gave him my phone number. He literally calls me like, you know, an hour later and was still in the neighborhood and wanted to like have a drink. And so we go to a, a place that was a block and a half away from where I lived because that was my, when I was in New York, I literally had like three, you can do this in Manhattan, but I had like, there was Churchill's, I can say this now, Churchill's, that was a block and a half away from me on 28th between Madison and Palm Park. I had Ace Hotel, I had Nomad, and then there was a Starbucks around. Ace Hotel was 29th and Broadway, Nomad was 28th and Broadway, and then the Starbucks was 5th Avenue between 28 and 29, and then I had Cafe 28 on 28th and 5th. So I had these places literally within like no more than two blocks away that I would always meet guys at. And like, cause so many guys would stand me up. I would not leave my house until they were there. Oh, I'm here. Where are you? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm right across away. the street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so anyway, we met at Churchill's and we were talking and my transients had not come up when he, we were talking to Dwayne Reed, because that's just kind of weird to Dwayne Reed. But then I was just like, yeah, because I'm trans. And it was very casual. And this was like the time when I really started owning my transness. I think I'd already done, I want to work for Diddy. So I was just like, you can Google it and, you know, see that I'm trans. And he was really shocked because he had dated a lot of trans women before. He knew that I was trans. He was attracted to me because I was trans. He had dated so many trans women before. And he was shocked that in the middle of a bar, I would say, I'm trans and not like whisper it and be proud. He was like, I've never met a trans woman who would just say that like that. I was like, well, you you knew, right? And he was like, well, I knew, but I've just never. And he was just shocked that I was happy and proud and just like proclaim it so casually because it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And I'm sure there are people listening that maybe have different things about themselves that they don't feel like they can share openly. And I just find the more that you share your authentic self, the more transparent you are about what you want and who you are, the more that you're able to attract your right person. So I'm, I'm, I just, I love that you shared that on your journey. We talked on your show about dating over 40. Mm -hmm. This is another major limiting belief that I hear a lot, particularly from women who feel like men their age always want to date younger women. I see it. I see it a lot, especially in LA. <laughs> <laughs> I live in LA, so you understand. But I have just found time and time again, I'm able to beat those odds or shift those beliefs for women over 40. You're dating a younger man. Did you hold any of those beliefs and did you, how did you shift them for yourself? 
harshly. I mean, it just makes me think about what Oprah says in her iconic Essence Music Festival speech. She says, you might not always get what you want, but you get what you believe. <laughs> in that Oprah voice, you get oh, what that, you believe. I heard it. I heard that Oprah So voice. that, I mean, that belief, you get what you believe, right? That is what you're putting out in the universe. I definitely had some of that, though. When I became single again a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm openly over 40 now. Like, I had been lying about my age for a long time. So, like, I am openly over 40. I'm single. I'm Black. I'm trans. It's like, statistically, this is not good. <laughs> If you just look at the statistics of it, right? But I was like, I'm I'm me and it's like whatever. And so I just put myself out there. And people say I look great for 48, for I'm 49 now, I keep forgetting. I look great for 49. And I think I do. It's not even really about about that. It is really about our belief system and shifting that and shifting the story so that like I'm not carrying that around with me. And there are definitely men. I remember when I first started disclosing my age and I was on a dating app. And oh my goodness, I, what was what what was it? The guy was really specific. He was in his forties too, and he knew I was trans, so it wasn't an issue of like me bearing children. But like he asked my age, and I was just like, I'm. I was just like, well, what age range are you, you know, looking for? And I was like, I told him I was four. I was forty eight at the time, and he was like, oh, that's a little bit older than where I want to date. I was thinking thirty. He was like, I was thinking thirty eight to forty two. He had a very specific like, I want to date that's somebody thirty eight narrow... to forty two. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. And I'm trans, so it's not about like me giving birth. I don't know what that was about. And it was like, it definitely in the moment stung because it was one of the first times I like disclosed my age on a dating app. And I don't have my age in the algorithm, right? Because I don't think men are looking for um, women over 40. So I don't, I don't actually have my real age. But when we start talking, I disclose my real age because um, I don't like lying. But that time it was like, oh, it kind of stung because like I was above his age range. And I am for a lot of guys. A lot of guys don't want to date a woman in, her, in their late 40s because of whatever reason, whatever story they have, but that's their story. And I'm, I've realized that ageism is a story that society has told women that we've often internalized. It's a story that men tell themselves about women they want to date. And I get the, you know, childbirth thing, but obviously that's a mood issue with me. I've just let that go. I really, ha like right now, I mean, I'm dating a 27 year old. The age thing has never been an issue. And I think the main reason is for, it's because of the music. He loves like seven, 70s music. He hates 80s music, but he knows it. He like his musical taste is so vast. And that's like really important to me. <laughs> so like we have so much music that we can share. And he knows so much old music that so we just like, and us like singing together, like badly is like one of our favorite things to do. So it's just it, the age thing hasn't been an issue so far. So I think that for me, and I'm not like any you know, famous actress, you know, so I certainly might, I'm different from a lot of women out there, but I just let go of that stuff, you know, of like, it's hopeless for me, you know, and I definitely used to have that belief system that it's hopeless for me over 40. And when I, when I embraced my age and started like saying my age out loud publicly, it was so freeing. And it was, it was my own shame around that and my own internalized ageism. And when I let that go, it just was so freeing. And it's just kind of like some guys, like, I mean, it, it definitely younger guys are more open to dating. I found younger guys are more open to dating a woman in her 40s than like men in their 40s and 50s and older. That's a trend now, actually. Part of it, I think, is that younger men like Zoomers are more open. They don't have the hangups that Gen X and Boomers have around and even some millennials have around trans women. 
Gen Z is very, they don't have the same hangups around the trans thing that older men have. I remember when going on this date with this older guy who was like a venture capitalist or whatever. And he was like, just not chill. And he had dated a lot of trans women and like, he was just terrified of anybody. And, and my whole thing is like, he was in his fifties and like, he had dated a lot of trans women over the years. No one in his life knew he was like, financial industry is very conservative. Like I, my career would be ruined if people found out. And it just was like, but he didn't feel free. And like, I get, like, cause I like to be, I like a certain level of discretion as well, but like he had stuff. I, what I got in that conversation is his shame around it. Right. I felt like he had shame around his attraction to trans women and what he liked to do with trans women. And like shame is Brene Brown reminds us is very contagious. Like when you are in a dating situation as a black woman or as a trans woman and you, and men are attracted to you, but are ashamed of it. That shame is contagious. And like, I don't have the time. I've done so much work on myself. I don't have the time or energy to take on your shame about who you are and what you're into. So like, you you can just stay over there with that. With love, I release you. <laughs> yes. That's why I always say, thank and release, you know? It's like it's like the Marie Kondo, thank and release. And you have done so much work on yourself, and you're continuing to do the work. You do it every week on the Laverne Cox show. It's a, such a great podcast. And also, in all of the other work that you do, obviously, you're a very talented actress in your own right, but your documentary disclosure is fantastic and i i just appreciate you continuing to just show up and be you and speak your truth and inspire others to do the same thank you Demona. it's been lovely chatting with you i just want to say to wrap up that to fall in love but then to be loved this is what thing i'm i'm you know really trying to do you know imperfectly every day when i interview cornell west for my podcast he called me a love warrior and he taught he was talking about it in the context of like you know civil rights struggle and whatnot but i just love this idea of being a love warrior being the embodiment of love like in in, in our nervous systems in our bodies and just move through the world that way i think when we can do that what we begin to attract is different, not just romantically, but like energetically in our lives. And so I think just being love, like what does it mean for you to wake up and just like be love and the things that, you know, and thinking about the things that bring you pleasure and the things that you love and like magnifying that in your body and your nervous system and like trying to walk around in that. And I think that whether you have a relationship or not, being love and walking around in love is like, that is what we're here for. I mean, obviously we're here to connect as well, but being love is connected. It's connected to the things we love. It's connected to a place we love, to some music that we love, and maybe even a, a friend we love or a family member or a romantic partner. If we can just be that love, I think that's what we draw to us. That's what we draw to it because you know, it's a lower vibration won't even recognize your signal, right? If you can vibrate on that. And I invite folks to like explore what it means to like be loved, to vibrate on that love frequency in every aspect of their lives. That's something I, you know, I say it too, because I'm trying to remind myself of that, you know, to, to, to do that on a daily basis. And what I know for sure in this moment is that vibrating on that frequency of love has brought this incredible man into my life. And I don't know if that means it's going to bring a, a partner into your life, but like that is what I'm experiencing in this moment. And I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I am so insanely grateful that in this moment that that frequency is alive and well in me and I could just share it with someone. I wish that for everyone out there listening. Thank you. I wish the same. And 
Just like Brene Brown says, shame is contagious. Love is contagious too. So thank you for going out and sharing the love that you feel and sharing it with our Dates Amaze listeners. You can follow her on all of the socials at Laverne Cox, L-A-V-E-R-N-E-C-O-X. And you can check the show notes for a link to my interview on The Laverne Cox Show. But you can't go wrong on that show. Her podcast is so engaging and insightful. And I hope you'll check it out and see all of the many amazing people that Laverne has spoken to on that show. In a moment, I'll be back to answer your questions. And dear Demona, this week we have, is your relationship just too complicated? And how to get with a celebrity. The hits just keep on coming. (laughs) Stay with me. Welcome back. Here's what's on your mind this week. Dear Demona. Demona, help me. All right, we're going to tackle two emails today, even though I do love your DMs. Keep sending the DMs because we're going to be doing an all Dear Demona episode coming up very soon. This one comes to us from Amanda. She says, my boyfriend and I recently broke up after 10 months. We both considered trying again, but I'm unsure. He's a nice guy, but I have struggled to feel comfortable in the relationship. He comes off as very standoffish and doesn't show much facial expression or spontaneous physical affection. That being said, he's been supportive, helping me through life transitions. I'm 32 and he's 40. I wonder if I may have overshared in the relationship. I talked about my PTSD and boundaries, which made him uncomfortable. And he's continued to make comments about how he can't be himself around me due to my boundaries. This is a bummer because I wanted to be open and build my trust in him over time, said like a true Dates and Mates listener. In addition, we struggle to laugh together. We only went on dates when I asked and rarely snuggled up at a movie night despite me asking for that as well. My stress got so bad, I finally needed to be on my own. Do you think it's worth trying again? Or am I better off taking some time and finding a relationship where I can be more authentic? Amanda, thank you for your question. There's a lot we have to unpack here. You know from listening to the show that I'm all about authenticity. You have to be your most authentic self in a relationship. So it is a bummer, in fact, that you sharing your authentic self and you were together. This isn't like oversharing on a first date. You were together together. So you set boundaries, which is excellent. You shared personal things intimate things, personal details about your life that should make the right person lean in and support you and want to be closer. And you didn't get your needs met in this relationship before. So off the top, I'm kind of wondering what it is that's driving you back into the relationship. You were together for 10 months. So that is a fair amount of time to get to know someone and see how you grow together. And you didn't laugh together. You didn't really feel supported or heard. You didn't have physical affection. I'm just, I'm really looking for, I'm looking for where the connection really was between the two of you. Maybe it was physical. Maybe you didn't want to say all that and that's okay. But right now, from what you've told me, there isn't a lot of meat on the bone, but there are a couple of learning opportunities here that I would like to point out. Of course, love languages. We have different ways that we give and receive love or feel loved. And so the way that you may have been communicating to him might not have made him feel like he was loved or supported as well. And clearly the way that he showed love to you wasn't readily apparent. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to diagnose him. 
From what you said, though, Amanda, I actually wonder if he could be on the spectrum um, because there are uh, there are some little cues in terms of physical affection. Sometimes, sometimes people on the spectrum may have sensory sensitivities, so that might not have felt good to his body to be physically close. The other point that really stood out to me is you said he doesn't show much facial expression, and he may also not be able to read your facial expressions well. And I just bring all this up not to not to dig or or label, but just to make you aware that sometimes when you feel like someone's not hearing you or not supporting you, not gelling with you, sometimes it's due to something that is completely outside of your control and something that is internal and intrinsic to who they are and the way that they move through the world. Now, I could be completely off base. That could be not the case at all, but it may be something that he's not even aware of himself. And as we all get more curious about how our brains work and how we interact, I'm dealing with this with with my kids who have different diagnoses themselves, our willingness to examine these behaviors and traits and look for support in how we move through the world, how we connect with others, especially. And this is just such a rich time for self-discovery. So regardless of whether that is what was going on or not. It sounds like you two were just not communicating on the same level. You were not getting your needs met. And you should be in a relationship where you can be open and build trust over time. And having experienced trauma and having PTSD, which so many listeners, I'm sure, right now are nodding their heads saying, I've been through something like that too. And I struggle with when should I tell my partner, the person that I'm dating, that I have this sensitivity, that I've had this experience that impacts the way that I interact with them right now. And those boundaries that you bravely shared with him are so vital to your recovery. They're so vital to you being able to get your needs met in a relationship. And so I don't want you to beat yourself up for sharing these things and feeling like, oh, did I share it too soon? Or or how did I make him feel uncomfortable? Because you have to make sure that you are communicating what you need in the relationship. And I'm so sorry, your needs didn't match up and you couldn't get to a point of clear communication and support for one another. If there's more that I'm missing to the story, I would love to know, but I'm not sure what's driving you back into this relationship other than the desire, it's cuffing season, the desire to be close and have someone to be physical with and to do things with and support you, you know, as the the 17th wave of COVID continues. But don't try to force a fit. If this one isn't the one, you have gotten great practice at establishing your boundaries, expressing what you need, and just keep looking through that lens of, I have all of my stuff. I'm figuring out when to reveal that. And other people that I meet are coming to the table with their stuff too. This email came to us from a listener named Bryant. He says, hi, Demona. I saw you on the Drew Barrymore show, and I thought you'd be a good person to ask this question. Do celebrities date regular people who are not in the business? If so, how would a normal professional man parentheses, me, ask a celebrity out on a date. Oh, it's so funny. I get so many DMs and emails 
when I'm on television asking me to introduce them either to like if I'm working with, you know, a regular person on the Drew Barrymore show, I've gotten DMs to get to them. Not even they're not even celebrities, but the people want to know how to get to those folks. And then, you know, I did the segment with Alicia Silverstone and Drew and all the time I'm getting inquiries for celebrities, too. So let me tell you how to do it, because I'm not the method. <laughs> I'm not the matchmaker for them. But there is a method that you can do this. First of all, they're on the dating apps. I just did a segment on eDaily Pop about this, that celebs are on dating apps. And they're not just on Raya. I, there are more on Raya. If you get on Raya, I'm sure you will see all of them who are there. But they're also on Bumble. They're on OkCupid. They are on Tinder, as you heard from Laverne Cox earlier today. So they're there. They're there. And they are wanting the same things you want. They want someone who's not going to fall in love with what they do or what they've seen in movies, but really who they truly are. They want someone who's going to be an ally and a support for them as they have to deal with so much drama out in the world. So you could be you could be that island for them, Bryant. You could be you could be exactly what a celebrity is looking for. A lot of times they ask me this on E, like, do celebrities want to date regular people? And I think they absolutely do. But you have to understand that there's a whole lifestyle that you're stepping into that is very intense. And this is why a lot of celebrities date one another. One, because they're always working and they just end up meeting people through work. Because it's not like you can just go out to a bar and people are going to approach you, right? Two, it's also easier to understand the hours and the lifestyle and the intensity if you're going through that yourself. But they would love to date you. So if you're on the dating apps, don't be afraid to match and and don't be afraid to send just a really authentic message. Not about what work they've done and how you've been a fan since you were 10 years old, but just that maybe read a couple of articles about them and who they are. Like, you know, with Alicia, she's really into, into her vegan lifestyle. She's into the impacts on climate change. She's into, um, she's a parent. There's so much that you can find just from their Instagram about who they are and really also then do a deep dive in their in their dating profile. You may, if you know who they are, don't try and pretend that you don't know who they are, but you can reference something that is a, a level deeper. Like, I love your passion for climate change and sustainable living. Like, she would get excited about that. <laughs> Beyond that, you can also slide into the DMs. I talked about this on my Instagram. I also talked about it on eDaily Pop. I almost got laughed, laughed off the set. I'm not even joking because they were like, that method sounds thirsty. But trust me, I know what I'm talking about and this will work. If you want to DM a celebrity, you first have to make yourself visible to them because you will appear in their general inbox. If they're not following you or if they didn't check out your profile, you may get completely overlooked. They may not even see. I was talking to Garcelle Beauvais, who I coached on The Real Housewives about this. And she was like, I never check my DMs. <laughs> I'm like, you probably have a bunch of messages from guys. You're just not looking at it. So you need to be visible to them. So that means uh, follow them, of course on whatever social platform. Don't follow them on all the platforms. Follow them on the platform that you use the most or that they're most active on. And then 
like a couple of their posts. Don't go crazy. Don't go all the way back to like 2018. Just like a couple of their recent posts. And then try to be, this is the thirsty, the part that they said was thirsty. Try to be in the first hour of comments on their new posts. Not because you're trying to look thirsty, but because they're probably not going to look at their comments after the first hour. Everybody posts, it's the same with celebrities. Everybody posts and I was like, oh, I want to see how my post is doing. I want to see if people are liking it. So they might notice your comments and don't just be like, hey, pretty, but do something, say something of substance in that comment. Do a couple of those comments and then, and then send them a DM if, if they have DMs open. Some celebrities don't have them open, but you can send them a DM that just comments on something that they've already posted or something that you read in the news or something going on in the news that you thought that they might be interested in. Same rules apply as when you're DMing someone on a dating app. And then let it go. Let it out of your hands because you can't ruminate on it. You can't, you can wish it, but you can't make it happen. And that is your best shot. Celebrities are now more accessible than they have ever been. If you're really interested in shooting your shot, like uh, Nick Vile's girlfriend did, if you haven't heard that episode of the podcast, his girlfriend DM'd him and now they are together. And now she lives in LA. They moved in together. They're living a happy life. So it absolutely can happen, but you just got to shoot your shot. And if you're sitting around thinking that maybe it's too thirsty to send the message or to do those other things, you might get lost in the sauce. I really encourage you all to try it. Let me know how it goes. And remember, authentic connection, as I said in the previous question, authentic connection is always what you're going for. Friends, we've come to the end of another fabulous episode of Dates and Mates. This one is number 387. I want to hear from you. We're doing an all Dear Demona episode coming up. So I need your questions. Stat. DM me at Demona Hoffman on all the socials. You can send me a voice memo right there on Instagram if you'd like. You can also DM me on Twitter or Facebook. And you can also leave me a voicemail. 424-246-6255. That's my 24-hour voicemail. You can also send me a text there. There's so many ways to get your question here to the Dates and Mates show. I want to know what's on your mind. And before we go, don't forget to give the Laverne Cox Show a listen. And if you're interested in learning more about Transgender Awareness Week, there's so much info and so many resources at glad.org. That's G-L-A-A-D dot org. We will be back next Tuesday with my dear friend, Devin Simone. Usually she's tackling celebrity news on the Wendy Williams show, but next week I'm still in her away to talk about how a matchmaker can completely change your life. Until then, I wish you happy dating. <laughs>